All right, let's get into the Word tonight and look at our amazing Savior, Jesus Christ. John chapter 13. John chapter 13. This last part of chapter 13 really divides out nice into three sections. And I want to I wanna go sort of, I want to back up, take sort of a big view of chapter 13 first before we get into it verse by verse. Because I want you to see something here tonight that I think is, is pretty clear and yet pretty amazing at the same time. From verses 18 through, let's see, what verse? Verse 30 is all about the prediction of Judas's betrayal. Okay, so you've got that in that section. Then when you come down to verse 36 through verse 38, the last couple of verses of the chapter, you have Jesus' prediction of Peter's denial. So you've got, you've got Judas's betrayal, You've got Peter's denial, but then I want you to see in the middle of the denial and the betrayal is this wonderful group of verses, verses 31 through 35. And what it's showing us here is that we're seeing who Jesus really is in the midst of all that's going on. And then Jesus teaches us who we should really be seen as in the midst of all of this as well. And and what I want us to see tonight is... Uh, beginning in verse 31 for just a moment, notice it says, when Judas had gone out, Jesus says to them, now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. Think about what Jesus is saying there. That up until this point, it's not necessarily that Jesus hasn't been glorified in the sense that he hasn't been seen maybe for who he really is which is what the concept of giving God glory really is all about, is seeing Him, acknowledging Him for who He really is. But what I want us to see tonight in this passage, in this context is, notice when the Bible says, when Jesus says, He is truly seen for who He really is. It is in the midst of betrayal and denial. Here is the rock, if you will, Jesus Christ, the rock solid one, Jesus Christ, in the middle of all this stuff that's sort of crumbling and, and, and human failure all around him, here's the rock Jesus, seen for who he really is. And, and what I want us to take away from that is that that's one of the reasons, can I say, why God sometimes allows uh, topsy-turvy things to come into our lives? Because sometimes the best time for others to see who we really are is not when everything's going well, but when we've got betrayal and denial and failure and all this stuff going on around us. And yet in the midst of it all, through Christ, obviously, and the power that he can give us, we can remain rock solid just like Jesus. And the only way we can remain rock solid like Jesus did in the midst of all this was obviously he was faithfully following the will of his father. And what Jesus teaches us by his example through the Gospels is just keep following me. Just keep being my disciples and you will remain rock solid in the midst of all the stuff that's going on. So you get that big picture here of this last half of chapter 13. Again, dividing out very nicely the prediction of Judas's betrayal, the prediction of Peter's denial, and in the midst of it all, here's the rock, Jesus Christ. And so if you take nothing else away from this last half of chapter 13, remember that, that in the midst of a lot of you know, chaotic things and, and uh, things going 
uh, wrong, that's sometimes when we are best seen for who we really are, just like Jesus was being seen for who he really is as well. Now, a couple things, though, about Judas's betrayal. Let's go back and pick it up in chapter 13, verse 18. You remember we ended last week where Jesus had left them the example of washing their feet and he's telling them, I, I want you to follow my example. Just as I have served you and just as I have given my life for you, that's what I want you to do for one another. And Jesus says, you will be blessed if you practice these things, if you do them over and over. Now notice what he says though in verse 18. What I am saying about the condition of being blessed does not refer to all of you. Because obviously Jesus was not referring here to Judas. He says, I know the ones I have chosen. But this is to fulfill the scripture. The one who eats my bread has turned against me. Now, first of all, notice that Jesus also is reminding us he knows exactly where everyone is at in relationship to him. He knew that Judas wasn't with him, even though Judas was physically with him. Judas was not spiritually with him. Even though Judas was in the company of Jesus and his disciples, spiritually, he had left that company a long time ago. And we're going to talk more about that in just a moment. The significance of the quote by Jesus here about eating the bread has turned from me is because this is, is, is language of sharing a fellowship meal. It is language of friendship. This is what makes Judas's betrayal all the more hurtful, all the more painful, all the more treacherous is because of the relationship, if you will, that Judas, in a sense, had with Jesus. And Jesus is pointing this out here. He says, I'm telling you this now about this. Because after it happens, because I'm telling you before it happens so that when it happens, you may believe that I am he. Now, they already believed. But what Jesus is saying is you will further believe. In other words, your faith will be reassured and reconfirmed as you think about what's taken place after the fact. And then he says this, I tell you the solemn truth, what is firm, faithful, and trustworthy. And by the way, that's a great reminder for us as well. Whatever Jesus tells us is always that way. Everything that Jesus tells us is absolutely trustworthy. Absolutely firm, absolutely faithful. And here's what he says. Whoever accepts me that I send, accepts me. Or accepts the one I send, accepts me. And whoever accepts me, accepts the one who sends me. Jesus here is saying, look, you need to support each other. You need to be there for each other. All the more because I'm getting ready to leave the planet and go back to my father. And I'm not physically going to be present. And he's going to even make this even more apparent as we move through this chapter. 
But Jesus really wants to hammer this point home. He's going to say, look, you guys need each other and you need to accept the ones who I send more than ever and know that if you accept them, you accept me. And then if you accept me, you accept the one who sent me. And we're all tied up in this together. And we are stayed glued together. And to stay glued together. Because we are living in the world. And the world is not our friend, if you will. The world is going to remain in opposition to the cause of Christ and to the progress of the gospel. So more than ever, Jesus is saying to his disciples in these final words, you need to make sure that you have each other's back, that you support each other continually, because it's coming a time where you're all you're going to have, because the world is going to turn against you. And then the Bible says, when he had said these things, he was greatly distressed in spirit. This means he was deeply emotional at this point and upset. Think about it. Jesus was upset. And what was really upsetting to him was that one so close would betray him. Now think about that. Because if you've ever felt like you've been betrayed and that Jesus maybe doesn't understand, oh, he definitely understands. And if you think it's not, it's not okay even to be upset about being betrayed, no, because Jesus was upset. This, 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 this struck him, even as the Son of God, that one so close who had eaten bread with him, shared meals with him, was in a sense his friend, would do this. And then he testified, I tell you the solemn truth, one of you will betray me. Now the disciples obviously began looking at one another. And they were worried and perplexed, literally at a loss, in absolute doubt as to know which one of them he was talking about. I'm going to come back to that in just a moment, but I want to finish this out. One of his disciples, the one Jesus loved, was at the table at the right of Jesus at the place of honor. This, I believe, was John, the one who's writing this gospel. So Simon Peter gestured to the disciple to ask Jesus who it was that he was referring to. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved leaned against Jesus' chest and asked him, Lord, who is it? Now Jesus never, you'll notice, never comes out and actually gives the name of the one who will betray him. I think he does that for a reason. One reason is because I think if he would have said, oh, it's Judas, and it would have been very evident that maybe Peter and the other disciples would have stopped or tried to stop Judas from doing what he was going to do. But I want to make this really important point here. You'll notice that when Jesus declared in front of all 12 of them that one of them was going to betray him, that it wasn't like the other 11 disciples all pointed their fingers and said, it's Judas. No, in fact, just the opposite. They didn't have a clue who it was that was betraying him. 
And what that reminds us of is that people can fool people. And you and I are going to be fooled by people. I don't care how discerning, how insightful we are. We are still human beings who only see a certain amount. And we, at times in our life, no matter how much we even try to put up our guard or whatever, we're going to get fooled. Because people can fool other people. I mean, think about it. Judas had walked with these men for three years, and yet when it came down to one of them, they didn't think it was him any more than they thought it was them. They didn't know who it was. It wasn't obvious to them because Judas was very good up to this point at playing the game, at, at putting on a front, at making appearances. And what it also reminds us of is that there will be people in our lives who can play the game real good for a while, who can masquerade as a disciple and follower of Jesus Christ, and we don't are no wiser to it to know what's the reality of their life. Now, the, the thing is, Jesus obviously always knows where we are. He's never fooled. He knows where our hearts truly are. But people, no. Now, I will say this. When someone like Judas has to spend so much effort into playing a game that's not real, that becomes exhausting after a while. And that's why... As a human being, someone will only be able to put up that kind of a front for so long. And then it just gets too much for them to keep up the masquerade. And eventually they will be manifest for what they are. But it could take a long time. It could take years before the genuineness of someone or lack of it really comes out. And the reason, I, again, I want to bring this out is hopefully, too, to remind us, if we're playing a game and we're just putting on a front and we're just masquerading, it'd just be better to just stop. Because eventually that's going to catch up to us. We're only going to have so much energy to put up that kind of a masquerade for so long. Secondly, we need to realize that sometimes there are going to be people who come into our lives and they are good at putting up a false spiritual front. Everything's okay when everything's really not okay. And, you know, they're trying to portray themselves as these faithful disciples and followers of Jesus Christ when they're really not and stuff. And they can fool us. Don't, don't think less of yourself because you get fooled. We're human. Only God knows the whole deal in people's lives. Again, people's lives are like icebergs. We only see the little tip that sticks up out of the water. There's a whole bigger part of the iceberg of their life that lays below the water that you and I don't see, but only God does. And so, this here was just fascinating to me. As I was reminded again about the disciples' reactions. They didn't know who was going to betray Jesus. But Jesus does say this to John when John asks him who it is. Jesus says, it'll be the one that I give the piece of bread after I have dipped it in the dish. 
Now, to us as Gentiles, too, this is not significant statement of Jesus. But to Jews, this is very significant. But to, because to a Jew, to dip this bread into this and to give it to someone was a mark of distinctive favor. And so think about it. Even to the very end, Jesus, in a sense, is showing favor to Judas. Even up to the very end, when he dips this bread and finally gives it to Judas, it's like even one last attempt to Judas I really do love you what a God we have then he dipped the piece of bread in the dish and gave it to Judas Iscariot see I think there was so much conversation and stuff going on around the table that the other disciples just didn't really understand what it was and I think John and Peter even if they saw this going on probably still didn't connect the fact that Judas was actually the one who was going to betray Jesus. I think that they probably thought, well, betray him one day down the road, whatever. But tonight, no, this this really isn't happening. By the way, I want to point this out as well. I think it's an important point. This all took place before the Lord's table took place. Judas was gone. Before Jesus took the bread and the cup and had that intimate time with just those 11. Because they were the ones that were truly his. The one that wasn't his had left to take care of business. And so the Bible says he gave it to Judas Iscariot, Simon's son. And notice, and Judas took the piece of bread and then Satan entered him. Literally took possession of him. And Jesus said to him, what you are about to do, do quickly. In other words, don't drag this out, Judas. Don't drag it out. Go do what you're going to do without delay. Let's not, let's not make this any more, in a sense, painful by extending the period of this. If you're going to betray me, then betray me. Just do it. And again... Notice that Judas was already spiritually far removed from the company that he was keeping. That's very important. As disciples of Jesus Christ, here's something we have to remind ourselves of. That there will be people throughout our lives that are in our company. But that doesn't mean just because they're in our company that they are spiritually one with us. They could be masquerading. They could be pretending. They could be putting up a front. And we've got to be careful that that's not ever true of us. God wants us to be real, genuine, transparent followers of His. Now, notice, none of those present at the table understood, none, why Jesus said this to Judas. Some thought, That because Judas had the money box, which by the way, if he was the one of the disciples that was taking care of the money, obviously this is also another clue that the disciples trusted him. Because he was sort of the the banker, if you will, of, of the group. And they wouldn't have entrusted him to oversee the funds for the group if they didn't think he was reliable and trustworthy. Jesus was telling him 
to buy whatever they needed for the feast or to give something to the poor. That's what they were thinking. So Judas took the piece of bread, went out immediately, and then John adds this. Now it was night. Now why does he add that? Because it's, we already know it's night. It, it's self-evident that it's night. I think what he's saying there is the darkness was palpable. Palpable. I can't even say it. Palpable. You know what I'm trying to say. You can feel it. That's what I'm trying to say. There, there's times in our life where we can sense light, if you will. And there's times where we can sense spiritual darkness. I can remember back in the days when I deprogrammed people out of cults. Lots of times where I sensed spiritual darkness. I can remember even just walking down a street in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, past a satanic church. And just even getting near that church, I felt darkness. You and I understand, I think, as children of God, as children of light, we understand that. that that's what John was saying. That even though they didn't understand exactly what was going on and who was betraying Jesus, there was darkness in the presence of Judas there and they could feel it, John says. It was night. Now when Judas had gone out, that's when Jesus says, now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in Him. The plan of God is coming to a culmination and Jesus is going to be seen for who He really is like never before. In the midst of all of this, in the most troubling of times, through His betrayal, through His denial, through His arrest, through His unjust trials, through the mocking and the scourgings and the beatings and through His crucifixion and all of that, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, would be seen for who He really is. In fact, isn't it interesting that even as Jesus is hanging there on the cross and the things that are coming out of Jesus' mouth while He's being crucified, it is that Roman centurion who looks up and says, truly, He's the Son of God. Because it was so evident that by the way he suffered, how he dealt with what he was going through, showed that this was no ordinary human being. This was not a man. This was none other than God himself in the form of man. And so that's what Jesus is saying here. He goes on to say, if God is glorified him, in Him, God will also glorify Him in Himself. And He will glorify Him right away. Then Jesus says to His disciples, children. Do you know that this is a term that Jesus always used with His disciples? He always called them children. And there's a couple things here that we need to to take out of this term that Jesus uses. First of all, it's a term of deep affection and fondness. Jesus is saying to these now 11 men, in a sense, by calling them children, He's reminding them how He cares for them, how He loves them, 
how much affection he has for them. I want you to feel that tonight as well. Because if Jesus was here, he'd say the same thing to you. He'd say, children to us. I care about you. I have deep affection for you. I love you. But the other thing here by using this term to his disciples is this. No matter how long they've been disciples and how long they've walked and how much ground they've covered, from God's perspective, we always need to remind ourselves we're still children. That that even though we are growing in the Lord and to grow to be, in a sense, mature spiritual adults, from God's perspective, we always also need to be reminded that we are still but children and therefore we are vulnerable and therefore we need Him and we should never be out there trying to live life on our own like any more than a child would without their parents' guidance and support and understanding and wisdom. Because if we try to do this on our own, just like children physically, we will get ourselves into trouble and messes all the time. We need to remember that no matter how long we've been saved and how much we grow and even how much we know, we've got to still look at ourselves as children who are vulnerable who can be fooled, who can be duped, who can be deceived. And therefore, we need to be reminded in that term, Jesus is also saying, I love you, but don't ever forget you need me. You can't walk one day without me. Because you're still a child with all that you have to face. It's a great term to remind us that we always need to be disciples who are growing, never walking away from the Lord at any point. And then he says, I am still with you for a little while. You will look for me. And just as I said to the Jewish religious leaders, where I'm going, you cannot come. Now I tell you the same. Now's not the time for you to come to be with me. I'm going to go back to my father in heaven. You have a job and a mission here on earth. And then notice verse 34. I give you a new commandment. Not new in the sense that God never told people to love each other, but in the Old Testament it was love your neighbor as yourself. Now Jesus puts a fresh perspective on that commandment when he says, here's the new commandment. Love one another just as I have loved you. And you also are to love One another. Now think again who he's talking to here. Those 11 disciples. And he's saying, guys, you need to have each other's back. You need to support each other. You need to love each other. You need to have special interest and care and regard for each other. Because when I leave and I send you out there into the world to proclaim me and my gospel... You gotta be there for each other more than ever. And Jesus is saying the same thing to his people, the church today. In fact, notice what Jesus says here. Everyone, not just people who know him, everyone, people who don't know him, will know, will learn, will realize. This mark that will distinguish you as mine, as my disciples, my followers. And what does Jesus say? Does Jesus say that the distinguishing mark for my followers will be that you have 
love for those that don't know Christ? No. Does Jesus say that the distinguishing mark for my disciples is that you will be people who have the biggest bank account at the church, the most people who come to the church, who have the most programs at your church? No. Jesus says, the, the distinguishing mark of those that are mine is that you will love one another. That's what will set you apart. Now think about that. Yet we live even in a culture today in Christianity where, where Christians are like, I don't need to have relationships with my brothers and sisters in Christ and I can do life on my own and I don't need to be part of a local church and and we don't need to be in fellowship with other Christians on a regular basis and we don't need to serve with other Christians and be in ministry with other Christians on a regular basis. And I think to myself, then how do you tell me you carry out this most distinguishing mark of discipleship as a follower of Jesus Christ? Because how can you love one another if you're never with one another? And you're never doing anything with one another. How are as other people going to know that we are truly Christ if we're not loving one another? Jesus says that's the mark. That's the true test, the evidence, if you will, that distinguishes who are mine who follow me, who are my disciples from anyone else. Because here's the thing. Why does Jesus say that rather than people will know that you're my disciples because of the love you have for the lost? Why does he not say that? Because God calls us to fellowship with him and with one another. And our witness and our evangelism, if you will, to the lost, those that don't know Christ, if it's effective and it's accurate, is to call them into fellowship with God and with us. How are they going to want to be part of us if they see in us that we don't love each other? Then they're not going to want to be part of us who are part of God. And so what Jesus is saying is, you guys have to understand this. That the greatest attraction of those that don't know Christ is going to be when they observe how you all treat each other because they're never going to want to be part of that kind of a fellowship if they see that you don't love each other. But if they observe how much you all care about each other and love each other and do things for each other, then they're going to want to be a part of that kind of body, that kind of dynamic, that kind of fellowship. And I think that's why Jesus says it this way. Can I say this? Since I'm on this discipleship thing, I think again here, this is where Jesus is making a distinction between disciples and Christians. Because I think one can be a Christian 
and not truly love their brothers and sisters in Christ. I do. But I don't think one can be a disciple of Jesus Christ and not truly have a special regard and interest in their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Because there's no way that we can be getting closer to Christ every day and walking with Jesus every day as His disciple and not, not be in fellowship and, and have great regard and interest in where our brothers and sisters in Christ are. As I said, how can we be getting closer to the head of the body, Jesus, and not be getting closer to the rest of the body, His church? The last five minutes. Peter's denial. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me later. Peter, you'll die one day and you'll be where I am, but not now. Peter said to him, Lord, why can't I follow you now? Now, I'm not saying we all don't do this. But Peter has a real habit of this. He uses the term Lord, which means you're the one that decides. I'm the one following you, not the other way around. And yet he uses the term Lord, and yet he's like, but Jesus, I don't want to listen to that. In other words, if he truly was Lord, it'd be like, okay, I get it. I'll follow you later. And that would have been okay. But it's like, Peter's having a hard time with the whole Lord thing. Because he's calling Jesus Lord, but he's really not just following him as Lord at this point. And Peter said to him, why can't I follow you now? Peter says, hey, if, if, if it means, you know, because I'm certainly not the one that's going to betray you. If it means laying down my life or giving up my life, I'll do it for you, Lord. And Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? I tell you the solemn truth. What is sure, what is certain, what is reality. The rooster will not crow until you have denied me, disowned me three times. What can we learn from this? One real important thing. And that is we must always be careful not to overestimate where we are spiritually. See, Peter thought that he was stronger than he was. And Jesus, in sort of a loving way, is trying to tell Peter, Peter, you're not as strong as you think you are. You're going to fold, Peter. I, I, I wanted to get you stronger but you weren't willing to go through the training program that I had prescribed for you here lately. And because of that, you're in a spiritually weakened state. And you're not going to be able to hold up to the pressure that's coming. Yet Peter thought, I'm okay. I'm strong. I'm going to be able to handle this. And Jesus basically pointed out, no, you're not. Now, what we can take away from that is this. First of all, that whatever training program, again, that God is putting us through, 
He's doing it because he understands that though life is not going to get any easier, we can get stronger. And through his training program, we can have the strength to stand up to whatever pressure is going to come. Because through Christ, we can be at that place. But when we're not in God's training program consistently, and we're not following him as a faithful disciple, we can also get to the bad place that Peter got to. Where we can think we're better off spiritually than we really are. See, for for a Christian, if you will, there's a lot of Christians out there that think that they're stronger and that they can can handle situations more than they really can. And if those situations came, they wouldn't be able to handle it. Because just like I talked about on Sunday about the virgins, they're not taking every day to prepare themselves and ready themselves for what's to come. And you can't wait to the last minute and just think you can just snap your fingers and be there. That doesn't work that way. It's every day, slowly, slowly, steadily getting stronger type of thing. So as a disciple, the encouraging thing is, if I just follow God's training program for me, then I'll be much less likely to overestimate where I am spiritually. Because if I'm that close to walking with Jesus every day, I'm going to be more aware of where I really am. If I'm I'm not in God's training program consistently, and I'm not walking with Jesus and in fellowship with Him, then I become less and less aware of where I really am. And I get to the place like Peter where I think I can handle things that I really can't handle. You see. So the beautiful picture though here, even from this chapter where you see a lot of failure of man all around, through the prediction of Judas's betrayal and the prediction of Peter's denial, is the rock Jesus Christ. Who's standing above it all. And who's rock solid. And what I think Jesus here is, is doing is, is even picturing for us, this is who you can be in me. If you stick with me and follow me in the midst of people betraying you and denying you and failing you and falling away and all this spiritual apostasy and everything that's going to take place, you can remain in the world in which you live rock solid if you stick with me. Because I'm the rock, the one true rock. And if you build your life on me, when the storms come, you'll be on solid ground. But as Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew, if you hear the sayings of mine, and you do not do them, you do not put them into practice, then you will be like someone building your spiritual house on sinking sand. And when the storms come, the house will collapse. Peter's house was getting ready to collapse. But can I say this to encourage all of us? Because I think we've all been, we all can identify with Peter. Hey, we've all failed the Lord and maybe overestimated where we were spiritually at times. But here's the encouraging thing that we're going to see later on. And that is that 
Even though Peter failed the Lord miserably here, he took a valuable lesson from that. And Peter was never the same after that for the good. Peter finally was humbled to a point and broken to a point where he finally got it. And where something finally kicked into gear that Jesus had been trying to encourage and fan the flame for a long time. And man, when it kicked into gear, it kicked in. And obviously we know Jesus wasn't finished using Peter. In fact, Peter's best days were ahead of him. So for all of us here who have failed the Lord and who of us here haven't at times, don't be discouraged. Don't think that your best days spiritually are behind you. God simply wants us to learn from our failure and remind ourselves of how much we need Him and to truly have ourselves kick into gear and realize that our best days for God and our best days for serving God and ministry for God can be ahead of us. And God hasn't given up on us, so we shouldn't too. That's also what we learn from this. Because who was the rock? Peter was going to be the rock, wasn't he? He wasn't the rock yet. But Jesus said, I'm going to call you Peter. Because I know one day, even though you weren't the rock now, you're going to be my rock. And that's what Jesus wants to see in all of us. We might not be where Jesus wants us to be or where we want to be yet, but guess what? We can be. All we have to do is start following Jesus like Peter did after this day. And follow Him closely rather than from a distance. Let's pray. God, we thank You that You are the rock of our life. And You have modeled for us and told us that if we want to be that rock, if we want our lives to be rock-solid, in the midst of all the stuff that's going on around us, we just have to be faithful followers of yours. If we follow you and we build our lives on you, no matter what comes, we'll be rock solid. God, help us to follow you faithfully every day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, thanks for coming. We'll see you next week.